Welcome back to the Classical Music Pod. It's been a while. It's good to be back in the chair. Oh, yes. In the recording room. Today, we've got a very special interview lined up. Sam has spoken to Nate Holder, the saxophonist, educational consultant, and author. Sam, give us some Nate facts to fill us in before we tuck into your interview. Well, he's the professor and international chair of music education at the Royal Northern College of Music. Mm. But I first came across him on Twitter. Uh, If you want to follow him, he's N8 Holder, like Skater Boy. Yeah. Skate. Uh, Like that. Greatest hits. Uh, And he said some very thoughtful things. So I thought, who's this man saying thoughtful things? And it turns out that he is the professor and international chair of music education at the Royal Northern College of Music. In our conversation, we covered a bit of his work, which seems to have focused on decolonizing curriculums, what that means and what that practically involves. But we also touched on what we want people to get out of music education and the educators that shaped him. But we kick off by mostly talking about how you get to play keys for Ed Sheeran. Sometimes I'm in the position of doing interviews with people where they're promoting an album or something and you kind of know what the answers are going to be. And then I think it's my job to try and get the answers they weren't going to give out of them. But with you, I think I've got a lot to learn. So I don't know what the answers are going to be. It's uh, that makes it exciting for me to talk to you anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, same. I don't know either. So um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Creative process, you know. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. Um, let's let's introduce you to our listeners. As far as I can tell, there seem to be two main strands to your career. One as a, a saxophonist, and then one as a music educator and sort of educational consultant. Um, but in my trawl of uh, bits and bobs trying to find out about you. You mentioned playing piano for Ed Sheeran in Germany, just casually on the radio. It was like a little just sort of, and then you carried on with the conversation. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you got there? Sure. I mean, like, I guess with some gigs, it just it just happened. A friend of mine called me um, to see if I was interested in in, in doing it. It was a live show. It's, it's called the Golden Camera Awards um, that they have every year in in, in in Germany, I think I'm not sure if they have it every single year in Hamburg, but they had it in mm-hmm. Hamburg that year, and because um, I was living there for a few years, and um, I didn't know who the artist was at that point. They didn't say, I guess, security reasons, or whatnot. They didn't say anything until I think maybe a, few, a couple of hours before the first rehearsal. Um, so I frantically, you know, learned, learned the song, 
<laughs> and did the rehearsal but he wasn't there and then you know we just we did the show and it was crazy because you know we're there live you know this is one of the biggest shows in 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 germany and um nicole kidman's like sitting like over there and colin farrell because you know it's, it's mainly for german actors and actresses but um they have a couple of international people coming yeah. over so it was it was those were the two colin farrell and nicole kidman that's pretty pretty weird i was like I've seen your movies, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, then, and then Ed's there in front of us, you know what I mean? And he's a very, very cool guy, very cool guy. So, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. And ended up on piano rather than saxophone? Yeah, I, I was um, playing a lot of keyboards in, in Germany when I was living mm. there. Um, I wasn't playing saxophone at all, really. Wow. So, you know, a lot of my, my work over there involved, you know, playing on a few recordings here and there and then touring around around Europe with, with different people, which was, it was a great experience. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting because in a sort of multi-stranded life, they can sort of come in and out of focus, can't they? Which one's going to be, which is the moment for now, which is the... I sometimes find with the different strands of my life that they, you know, on a good day, they're all feeding each other and I'm a better this because I also do that. But on a bad day, it feels like they're all pulling in different directions and I'm not sure what I'm doing. Have you got any strategies i can make or sort of tips I, I don't know that's a good question i think sometimes it's, it's waves really like mm. there's certain things that i might do that because i've got a background in even you know just living in a different culture and having to learn a different language and yeah. all of that kind of thing thinking about music and what it is to teach music differently because <laughs> you know having literally not having the vocabulary in another language to teach an instrument and really having to think to yourself, you know, what do I need to get across to you? And I can't really, there's nothing that you can assume from me and nothing I can assume from you because there's no, you know, the language at that point wasn't there. Um, so I guess sometimes that helps in with the education work as well. Experience of of playing and and, and recording and, and, and touring and stuff like that. I think it feeds into it because there's a whole other mindset and a whole other view of you're a musician and so these are the things that you need to know as a musician and even things that we do all the time as a musician rather than these are things you need to know to pass an exam you know whether it yeah. be in school or outside of school so in different ways it, it helps and i think in other ways sometimes it just means you're working on a book or you're working on this project or you're consulting or you're doing whatever you're doing talks and stuff and the playing side of it just you know it's like it's been a week it's been a week and a half you know which is frustrating at times but it is what it is I think constantly reapproaching stuff or having to get rid of some rust, which I find with my singing or whatever sometimes, um, you have to re-remember maybe some of those first principles again, or you know, you your education mode, you're teaching yourself a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And um it's it's funny actually. I, I used to play like clarinet was one of the first instruments that I kind of, you know, was mm. had to do and you know was forced not to quit and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um I did a weekend with the National Children's Orchestra a few weeks back and one of the pieces was um Florence Price's Juba dance and cool. they gave me a, an alto part, right? But I saw the clarinet part and I was like, Oh, this looks really cool. Honestly, I haven't played clarinet in about ten years, maybe longer. <laughs> and um I just thought, you know what? Let me go and find it. Literally, it was like that. Let me go and find my current yeah. first of all. Check that <sighs> it's okay. <laughs> blow it, blow all the dust off. Soak, soak the mouthpiece. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> in bleach, and then join in, and it was, it was, it was great. So I guess sometimes it's just about taking advantage of a situation to bring in a part of you know a different part of yourself that you haven't been using for a while. Let's 
rewind a little bit then back to um, you not giving up the clarinet, because before you get to be professor and international chair of music education at the Royal Northern College of Music, you've actually got to start doing some music in the first place, haven't you? Blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) More tears than anything else. More tears than anything else. What was that sort of first step on a musical journey like for you? How did it all get going? Um, it's, it's really organic. Just growing up in church, you know, just being in that environment just meant that, you know, there's this music, you know, you, you learn so many songs. I don't know how many, but you learn so many songs in probably the first four or five years of your life and the words to them as well. And, you know, the feelings that go along, you know, and just directions. With them. I mean, so many different things, harmony, all that kind of stuff. You just mm-hmm. soak it all in. And then when it comes time to you know, to, to start an instrument, there's already so many different frames of reference that you can you start to, I want to play along with that song or I know that melody, like, you know, I've been listening to that melody for the last 10 years. So I, you know, yeah. it's not that difficult in some ways to translate that straight onto an instrument. Plus being around great musicians and singers, you know, it just, just pushes you to, to want to be as good, if not better than the people around you. Right. So mm-hmm. um, there was that side of it, but then, you know, being very privileged enough to have, you know, music lessons on the side, you know, privately as well, which, which, you know, helped tremendously. So it kind of progressed from doing recorder in school, like everyone else does, right? Yeah. <laughs> or at least at the time anyway. And um, I think I, I just, I think because of the background in, in, in music in church and everything, teachers just were seeing that, you know, there was maybe I had a little something there. So she, she gave me a, a, a tenor recorder, which is like, you know, bigger and fancier. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then that, that went to, um, to the clarinet after a couple of unsuccessful lessons on the flute this not quitting is a big part of you i mean you've literally written a book on the subject was that a a struggle for you where was your first maybe i should pack this in moment well um i was having piano lessons at the same time and it got to a point where my sister one of my sisters anyway a couple years younger than me mm. she was doing a bit better than i was a piano we kind of started at the same time and yeah. I, I think I just got to a point where I was like I can't do this this just these scales are doing my head in and you know so eventually they said all right you don't have to continue the piano but you, you you're not allowed to to give up the clarinet um but fortunately I made my way back to the piano like by myself with the help of a few others you know but that was mostly kind of going down the route of playing by ear and learning about chord symbols and stuff like that mm, um yeah. you know this is way before YouTube and <laughs> everything yeah, yeah, right? exactly <laughs> so yeah yeah it, it it just became a matter of you know at certain points I guess when you're you're, you're carrying a clarinet to school and you know you want to play football after school but you've got orchestra rehearsal or you've got a, a lesson and you know it's just not what you want to be doing as a 13 14 year old you know kid so it didn't want to didn't want to do it but fortunately along the way I guess there were certain things here and there just helped me to kind of one of my teachers who I've actually done some professional work with recently, which is like crazy how life works. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he'd be coming to lessons and sometimes he'd be like, oh yeah, I can't have a lesson next week because I have a gig. And I'm just like, what's a gig? You know what I mean? That kind Tell of thing. Me and this magic. Yeah, exactly. And so just to know that there's this guy who was, you know, especially for me as well, he's a, a, a black man, tall, dreads, you know, I, I guess at the time he was quite young, right? To me, he was old, but you know, yeah. he's probably in his like like late twenties at that point, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was you know that was kind of a little bit of an incentive, and he didn't push me to do grades either, which mm. is interesting. He kind of just we kind of did stuff, and then at some point he was like, actually, I think you're ready for. I think it was grade four, I think at the time, mm. or grade three at the time, which I guess in different ways the pressure wasn't on you know just making sure that you're 
you're doing these skills and you're doing this and you're doing this. It was very much about just becoming a better clarinet player. Yep. Where does it take you after school? Because I've, uh, I basically can't find a footprint for you until you are fully formed. And it's amazing. I like, oh, internet, you sort of fall out the sky. Did you, did you finish school and go to uni- like music at university? Was it a straight into the profession kind of thing? Was it a conservatoire? What was the, what was the next step? Yeah, finished school, did GCSEs, did the A-levels and had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. But got told to go to university because, you know, you're supposed to, right? So yeah, cool. All right, fine. All right, mum. Yeah, I went to university and I studied music and psychology, but the, the the psychology part was more because I was told, you know, have something solid, quote unquote, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little side hustle. <laughs> Just in case the music thing doesn't work out, you've got something else. But mm. I, the, my grades are terrible because, you know, you're trying to split your mind between practicing, which you can do a bit of, but at the same time, there's so much reading and so much, you know, other things to think about with psychology. So the mm. grades are just terrible. So after a couple of oh, years, nice. I... I um, shifted and just focused on a, a music degree. Um, and yeah, just finished. And once I finished that off, it was like, all right, what next? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Hey, well, maybe that psychology strand will come flying back in in a couple of years' time and suddenly it'll be. The... I, I very much doubt it. I very much doubt it. Like, <laughs> Long shot. To, <laughs> yeah. It's to, okay. To be honest, there have been a few times where I've looked into like, you know, just thinking about music and wider context. And there's mm. been a few studies which have helped me to really think about things differently um which has been good but that's you know reading side of it that's not the sps side of it that's not the stat side of it it's not it's none of that stuff really um yeah if it does come back one day it'll be a miracle i think (laughs) yeah was there a sort of big road to damascus moment where you're like and now i need to uh, not just be involved in education but involved in educating the educators reforming education lightning bolt moment or was it a more of a gradual thing oh definitely gradual definitely gradual you know for a long time it was just about leaving university and then just being like all right you're i guess now you're a musician right so (laughs) figure it out you know get some gigs and what is a gig and you know all of that stuff and moving to germany and all of the stuff that came with that which was which is a whole that's a whole podcast in itself i think (laughs) um but i think at that point certain ideas about what it means to teach instrumental instrumentally anyway especially mm-hmm. started to you know to form and um then that led to the first book really which was just uh, i guess like like other books that many other people might write so a mix of personal experiences slash frustration slash you know hope all of that kind of thing mixed in you know just just looking at what it might mean to to teach and why people quit and why i quit and why a lot of people have expressed what they've quit yeah. and um you know, from there, I think it just started to be a thing of, well, actually, maybe a few people were interested in some of these ideas. Cool. All right. Um, what do you do with it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. And then taking it from there, really. Personal chat. Personal chat. Personal chat. Personal chat. Drop it. It isn't worth it. And actually, you're not very good at it. Your latest book. Ta-da. Oh yeah! Uh, listen and celebrate uh, by my desk. Activities to enrich and diversify primary music. Uh, what one thing that is really helpful about it is it's got a glossary in the back for terms and you know words that you haven't encountered before. It's very helpful to me. I found out about what a nagma was before reading it. You know, that's great. And I thought maybe we could just for our next conversation chunk 
do a little glossary of terms about reforming music education because I feel like sometimes the we sort of pick up terms by osmosis or uh, worse they're sort of defined by in bad faith uh you know bad actors writing headlines and it would be really nice to have a good faith explanation an expert explanation of kind of you know what is well here we go here's a term for you a curriculum what do you think of a, a curriculum and like why why do we need them um, I think essentially really curriculum is just, it's just a structured approach to, to learning, right? Just mm. it's, you know, whether it's um, whether it's written or, or anything, it's just a, a way to structure learning through a particular, you know, medium or style or whatever. And so I think that, you know, if you're asking me if, what, if they're useful or if they're needed, yes or no. I, I, yeah. It just depends on what the end goal is, I think. And I think if you start from the end and work backwards, potentially maybe we can come to, arrive at different conclusions as to what should be inside of a curriculum mm. rather than what's in there now not to say that it's all bad now at all but yeah it's interesting because like if i'm doing a sort of more creative songwriting session with a group or over a number of weeks if i prescribe every 15 minute chunk uh that before we started that gives me a lot of structure but it doesn't actually get us where we need to be at the end and yeah i like that i will there you go. Something learnt. Tuck that away. <laughs> uh, thinking about your end before you start. Maybe we can think about then sort of defining what it means to decolonize a curriculum. Sure. I, I, so th this is, you know, I guess a, a longer kind of thing, but essentially it's, to me anyway, it's a viewpoint. And I think it's important for me to you know, say it's it's my viewpoint on things, right? There's mm -hmm. other people who have different different ways to look at it, et cetera. Um, but for, for me, decolonizing means, for one, thinking about the, the ways and the hows and the whys we learn and teach what we do now, mm -hmm. um, where it all comes from, the gaps in it, you know, the, the ways in which um, certain genders or certain ethnicities haven't been as included, the ways in which, you know, we we will, you know, <laughs> note everything, right? <laughs> Um, and, and things like that, right? Thinking about the stories that we tell about composers, the stories that we tell about um, the people who've created certain musics. And it's really taking a critical look at all of these different aspects of, of, of pedagogy and thinking, well, how can we make this better for everybody, right? How can we, um, how can we, can we understand that this is, a lot of this has been, um, looked at and approached through a particular lens, a particular worldview, a particular even particular pe um, person, you know, who or people who have been influential and instrumental in putting these all together, these ideas all together. Um, and you know, who are these people again? There's so many questions about right? who are these people, where have they come from, what are the things, what are the biases that they might have brought unknowingly or knowingly to creating this curriculum or this idea of what music education, music education is or should be. And, you know, potentially if we ask someone else who, you know, from a different culture, a different ethnicity, different background, you know, could, are there things, and there, there definitely are things that we can learn from what they might do in teaching and learning about music that someone else might not, or traditionally the people who have been in charge of, of, of creating this thing called music education. Mm. Um, are there things that other people perspectives and ideas that they'll bring that would actually be better for everybody or even better for certain groups right um mm. so yeah that's like a long kind of no as, as as succinctly as possible <laughs> way of looking at it so and i'm merely regurgitating this so that i feel like i've got a handle on it uh <laughs> myself but it's, it's that sort of re uh, praising 
uh, how we got to uh, looking at where we are and reappraising how we got where we are and the reasons, you know, the the routes that got us here and seeing if there are other routes that might take us forward. Is that sort of? Yeah, I, I think uh, yes. I, I think that some of the the problems I think we have even in society today is that we we say stuff like this and it sounds like we're trying to rewrite history. Mm. Um, which I think we see it a lot, right? It's like, no, yeah. we shouldn't we shouldn't rewrite history. This is what's happened. But I think sometimes it's understanding that the history that we're taught isn't always the full story. So that's one side yeah. of it. Um, and the other side of it is that, well, if we if we were to dig in dig deeper and see perspectives from other people, right? For mm. for one person, it this this war might have been a rebellion for someone else, it was a fight for freedom, right? So yeah. it's just looking at it and saying, well, okay, if it was if it was both of those things at the same time right or even other multiple things that are going on yeah then maybe we should talk about it from the other perspective not just the one perspective yeah. um, maybe there's many different ways to learn about and to teach and to experience music that you know traditionally we haven't been told should happen in school even mm. and um i think a lot of a lot of children myself included and maybe even yourself mm. sometimes there's, there's this there can be this huge distance between the stuff that you know and the stuff that's being taught and you want to try and bring it in somehow some way but you can't you're not allowed to yeah um you know <laughs> wor words that you know that we use all the time in you know in the industry right mm. um and we don't use them in school and then you think well hang on a second <laughs> why, why am i not using this word that you know in the real world we use it all the time yeah um yeah i actually had exactly that in a uh, a composition class I'd written this thing and I'm not especially a composer but I had to take this class and um, I had written this little piece and it was kind of syncopated uh, not particularly clever minimalist blues for some two violins and they were just it was playing it in this quite edgy way and I was like oh it just sits you know it just sits it's it's just there and they were like oh yes and then they played it but then the the tutor the teacher in the room he was like but then how, you know, he was so concerned about what this term meant because it wasn't one that if you click on Sibelius, you know, it doesn't drop down on the menu. Um, he's like, well, is, is it Manon Tropo or something? And I'm like, no, it's just, it sits and that works. You know, it, it, <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to go via a, a second language that neither I nor the violinist speaks to write this down. It's, yeah, bringing a bit, sorry, that was a, a real tangent. Um, let's bring, no, bring us back. It, but it, it's, it's exactly, exactly that, right? We might say, you know, just give it a bit more bounce or something mm. right which it's like you can't again like you said you can't Sibelius can't you can't say just give me a you know two times more bounce here or <laughs> you know just bring it back a little bit or you know just fight like we're not in pocket right now right we said all the time like just you yeah. know just find the pocket and that's not something you can you can't transcribe pocket you know you feel it yeah it's non-verbal communication which is a limitation of notation all that kind of you know like the, all that extra stuff that doesn't end up on the page. Okay, so that's a quick whistle-stop tour of the word decolonization. We'll come back to it. But can you just maybe explain for me and everybody else how that is a bit different from diversification? Sure. So if we were to diversify curriculum, for example, if we diversify our approach to, or not even approach, I think normally when we talk about diversity, we're talking about the the, the people that we see usually or yeah. the music that we hear, right? So for example, we can have classical music, very broad, obviously, 
And let's be more specific. Let's say, all right, we're going to look at you know 20th century classical music. To diversify it, we're going to include um, a, a composer, a non-binary composer, for example, or we're going to include a uh, a, a woman who was born in Japan, for example. Mm-hmm. And that cool, yeah, we're diversifying it, sure, because usually you know the same old names will come out, the Mahlers and the yep. Bachs and the Beethovens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, we're diversifying it. When you think about decolonization, though. I think what we are talking about then is thinking about, you know, the language that we might use to talk about this music, to think about, well, yes, there might be, you know, a, a black woman might have written this piece, but, you know, when did she write this piece and why might she have written this piece? And it can go, it can go very, it can go deep depending on, you know, the age range, et cetera. Um, but essentially what we're looking at is thinking about the knowledge that has produced the world rather than, this surface level, it's, it's it's like a pizza. You can always, you know, add different toppings on top, right? Depending on what you like, if you're into pineapple, if you're into, you know, just peppers or whatever you want to do. <laughs> that's diversifying, right? That's yep. just the diversity. But what decolonization, to me anyway, is seeking to do is to say, well, think about that that base that we have, right? Um, that, that dough and think about even the tomato, right? Um, the tomato paste, the traditional thing. What, what would... It looked like if we substituted that pizza base for let's say another a different type of flatbread from around the world so like injera from ethiopia for example or a chapati or roti you know whatever but mm. you know what would it look like would it i mean would it still be a pizza that's that's another question right would it still be yeah. a pizza if we did that but it's the idea of yes the on top stuff we can change and shift around fine but if we're still gonna approach everything in the same way we're still going to treat everyone in the same way um, if we're going to look at, you know, yeah, if we're, yeah, if we're going to treat everyone and look at everything the same way, then potentially all we're doing is diversifying. We're not actually going a bit deeper to actually look at the stories and the history and the context. And we're not shifting our, our lens and we're not actually evaluating our pedagogy. Um, mm. You know, should you approach the music of, of Beethoven the same way as you approach the music of, of Nora Holt or Florence Price, for example? Yeah, maybe not. Because they're operating, they're, they've written music, great, but they've written it in different contexts, different places around the world. You know, um, maybe the themes that they're they're writing about are very different. So, should they just be treated as the same? Maybe yeah. not. Sort of asking why, if these are the criteria we're judging people by, and in that set of criteria, for instance, Beethoven comes out on top, then why have we got these criteria? What happens if we use some different criteria? Does somebody else? I mean, Tchaikovsky's never going to come out on top for like a tightly knit organic motivic symphony and mm. he's you know still very close in the canon but if you if you want if you start yeah looking through those different lenses you see different things i suppose don't you yeah yeah exactly mm. i think sometimes what we do is in my in my opinion anyway we, we we see someone like even like beethoven for example and we say okay cool you know this is what or mozart this is when they were born um this is this is their their, their journey and then they died and they left all this great music cool but there's so much more to the, that person, right? So it's thinking about, you know, if if there are records about who they were in their personal lives, what was happening around them at the time, right? Yeah. Um, what was happening in Austria in the in the 18th century, um, 17th century, you know, what was happening in Germany in that same time, um, you know, it's it's in some ways, I think humanizing some people. These are living, breathing people, and they're in the world, and that world was affecting the criteria that they had and all that kind of stuff, making those little jumps. Hey Sam, I've set up a coffee donation page for the podcast. 
What is a coffee donation page, Tim? It's like Patreon, in that it allows people to financially support creative projects they enjoy. If you'd like to buy us a tasty coffee, at least in the description. If you'd like to buy us a tasty coffee, at least in the description. If you'd like to buy us a coffee, if you'd like to buy us a tasty coffee, at least in the description. I'm waffling too much, but I've got to ask you some more questions. I've got to ask you the important question, actually, uh, which is across your uh, hoodie, which is, is why? And I think that's the the really meaningful one, is why is it important to decolonize curriculum? Why is it important? I think realistically, I think it's important because there are so many more stories to tell. Mm. There, are, there are so many more styles of music. We, we, we've... You know, we've we've got a, a crazy hierarchy of, of of styles, especially in education. Anyway, um, you know, there, there's so much more that we can look at and explore. Um, and there's so many there's there's so much damage that has been done, you know, in different different ways. So much, so many people who have been erased from you know discourse around music and, and music education and and what and good music and you know people who might have wanted to get into classical music, for example. But because they never saw any examples of, you know, anyone who looked like them or behaved like them or, mm. you know, who, who who maybe even just thematically some of the the subject matter that they were tackling in their music, you know, didn't get didn't get into it, um, which is an absolute shame. You know, there's so many again stories that might help people to you know, to just live a different kind of life, even if they don't become musicians, right? You don't you don't have to be, be a musician. No. Um, to, you know, this is a whole other thing, I think, as well, thinking about the end, you know, earlier. Yeah. You know, if your goal is to create a certain type of musician, then great. That's kind of what I think a lot of these curriculum do or attempt to do anyway, is just try and get everyone to be and to think in a particular kind of way. Um, but decolonizing it is important if you want to not only speak to people's musicality but also their humanity as well i think it's important that we're approaching music differently um you know extrapolating these stories and and and, and being critical of of so much not you know not being critical and then paralyzing ourselves into not doing anything but mm. you know i think just in different ways just just unshackling us from the 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 restrictions that it is to compose in this style and what it is to you know analyze music in this way and what it is to notate music in this way and just allowing a bit more freedom yeah and it's a really hard thing to quantify what i've found you know filling in application forms for funding or whatever it is you know, quantify the benefits or the the tangible outputs of music education but have you got any sort of anecdotal or experiential moments of of what those benefits are when the shackles are off being specific on music education rather than music right mm, i think that's yeah. that's 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 the one okay. thing the the benefits of music education i think it's i'm the kind of person who doesn't like to repeat the same stuff like i think in in environments where you're allowed to explore i think more than anything else i think that side of it just you know the 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 ability to to share 
knowledge with others around you, right? From whatever age, the ability to to perform and to you know that just that confidence to to know that you've you've worked at something and you're delivering it and mm. it's not about necessarily even if you've and this is where I think again thinking about decolonization thinking about what it means to perform there's a lot of I think we've we've inherited this way of looking at performance as though it's we're working to perfect something and then we perform it and then you know whereas in other cultures it doesn't quite work that same way we just mm. had a a um uh, a session with uh, Dr. Kim Johnson and, and Malika Green, and we're talking about Trinbagonian culture, so this culture of you know Trinidad and Tobago and the still pan yeah. tradition, yeah. and just thinking about that side of performance and some of the elements of performance and and practice and public practicing that happens, and mm. you know it's a totally it's a different way of thinking about what it means to perform as a community and who can perform and when performances are taking place and how they're taking place and what's happening around as well right it's not it doesn't have to just be about you're sitting down and people you know folded arms and like clapping at the end of movements it's 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 a much more immersive experience and so i think you know music education it it can in some in way in some ways it can expose children to so much that they would never have you know thought about or understood if it wasn't you know for the ability to pick up a piece of untuned percussion and you know yeah. but for half an hour you're you're in you're 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 in you're in brazil you know and and you're <laughs> you're just you're you're trying to get to grips with the rhythms and you know you're having fun there's so much i, I don't think your listeners really need to <laughs> we, already, we already know we already we're know. sold we're sold yeah of course of course Purposeful, purposelessness, the meaningful, meaninglessness, meaninglessness, I should say. Purposeful, purposeful, purposelessness, meaninglessness, I should say. Purposeful, 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 meaningless, purposeful, meaningless, I should say. Classical music pod, I should say. I suppose, yeah, thinking about who you need to be talking to, who you need to convince, who are the people, not just podcast hosts, but that you want to be talking to about decolonizing music education? Like, who are the change makers here? Who are the who are the people with the power? There's, it's a whole, it's a whole chain, it's a whole ecosystem. I think of of all of this, like, and I, you know, I'm very careful about talking about decolonization in some ways because I think some of the ideas around it and some of the things that teachers might want to do, you know, without talking to me or anyone else, right. It's like, mm. they'd love to do it, but they can't because, you know, you've got this exam coming up and you've got GCSE and you've got A-level, et cetera. Yeah. So I think, you know, ultimately it is about the people who are creating these, you know, these, the ABRSM stuff. It's the, um, you know, the AQAs and the Edexcels who were saying, you know, you need to get to this point. So teachers are saying, all right, so for the next three years or four years, I need to make sure that yeah. they get as close to that as possible. Um, because if they don't, it has implications for my department. You know, mm. this, if they're not, if they're not enough kids, I don't have a job, you know, it's, so it's that whole thing. It's just like, yes, as much as you can diversify and decolonize, you know, make everything better for you, for, for in your, in your own environment. But at the same time, it's those people who are creating the resources and who, who are, it's, it's been, it's been interesting, the, the um, modern music curriculum yeah. when that came out and, you know, a lot of people were just, oh, this isn't, it's not good. There were so many holes to pick in it. And it was very clear. It's non-statutory, right? Mm-hmm. But then what you, <laughs> what you see is everyone's like, okay, cool. It's not statutory. We don't really like it, but 
let's make sure that when we create our resources, it's in line with it. <laughs> and that's that's happening all the time. Yeah. And just think, well, if you're not happy with it, but you're still inside, and it's not it's not statutory, but it's becoming strategy because everyone's saying, well, we have to follow this or we should follow it because, you know, if I don't follow it, other people are going to say, well, it doesn't line up with it. So I have to make sure it does. And so it becomes this thing of like, actually everyone's following it, even though it's, it's basically guidelines and suggestions. Right. So it's, it's the people like that. And unfortunately, you know, without being getting into it too much, I think um, there's a lot of teachers who aren't consulted on a lot of these um, documents and a lot of these syllabuses, which, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, mm. it's kind of crazy. Um, I think in other industries, you know, that sports and stuff, there are, there are you know, the unions and the, the players, they're, they're in those meetings, you know what I mean? They, they have to be as part of, you know, the collective bargaining, they have to be in those meetings as part of it, right? But unfortunately, I don't think it seems to be the case. And so, yeah, it's, I think these ideas, it has to, it's, it's to the, the people at the top of the conservatoires, the people at the top of these exam boards, um and government who 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 should i think be paying more attention to these to these issues and be talking to teachers mm. more than anyone else and students in a way but filtering from the students to the teachers and the teachers you know filtering back to to those people start at the end again it's that sort of you gotta there we go gotta work it backwards and if you find yourself in rooms with those people those power brokers every now and again is there pushback is there conflict how's the reception been i mean i basically would i'm biologically averse to conflict so if someone just came back at me i'd be like okay bye uh you know are you good at dealing with it when it gets a little bit hot oh i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i I, I think i think i'm probably like you you know there's no if if we're having to argue like that i don't think we're really getting anywhere you know yeah so I, i think my approach has always been you know Again, thinking about the humanity of people, right? If you you, know, you point someone, you look at someone in the face and like, you need to change this because already that's walls up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're able to, to either demonstrate through case studies or you're able to phrase things in the way that we all understand, stories, for example, are always great. Music, you know, speaking to their own experiences and thinking about who the people are that you're speaking to. If there is pushback, I don't necessarily get it firsthand. It might be, it might happen after. Right. Um, so I don't know what that means, actually. <laughs> if they're just like, yeah, just let him talk and then we'll just like dismiss it after. Yeah. Or if it's genuinely, uh, actually, that's interesting, we'll go away and think about it. Um, but I think ultimately we, it, it's, it's, it's having an element of, you know, of kindness in what we're doing and how we're trying to do it because, yeah, we, we, we want everyone to be on, on, on side and to understand as opposed to feeling like they have to because, you know, the quote unquote mob is is demanding something yeah. um, that they don't they don't maybe not quite understand or have different reasons for not, you know, acting on things. Because ultimately, you know, from being in certain certain meetings or knowing certain people, you realize that you might call for change and you might want change to happen. But there are so many different things that have to happen before they can do it. So they might want to do it. And in yeah. some cases they're trying to, but, you know, they've got their own internal cycles that they have to work through. So it might take two, three years for you to see something. Mm. And in which case, you know, then people start getting more and more angry, but they don't know what's happening behind the scenes. So it's that balancing act of realizing, you know, if you ask forward to change something to, you know, you can't just say tomorrow, all right, everyone's going to 
it was a great case actually. I think it happened in Sweden. They changed. I think in the in the fifties they changed from from driving on the on the left to the right or the right to the left. I can't remember. And it was literally over. You know, tomorrow yeah. we're doing it. It's chaos, obviously, <laughs> right? Um, and in some situations, I guess you have to just you know, just yeah, you have course. to flick that switch. But in so many cases now, you can't just do that. It, it, you know, you introduce ULEs and you have to tell people, all right, cool. You know, that's going to come into effect at this point. So be ready for it. And I think the same thing, we, we ask for change and we do what we can. And in different ways, what I try to do is say, okay, cool. This is what we would like. But in the meantime, I'm going to try and create stuff mm. anyway, outside of you, you know, and then hopefully when you get to the point, these all, all of these things can feed into each other. That's what we want really. Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. So a final question really for you is, what do you see being the next most effective ways for you to keep spreading this message, preaching this gospel out, knocking on the BBC's door saying, hey, give me a, give me a radio show, give me a TV show, what's there? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's been a crazy, especially two, three years of working with, you know, early years practitioners all the way through to, you know, the other day I, I did a lecture from the master's program, you know, it's, it's, it's been so varied. And so I think it's, you know, being being able to work with the likes of Collins Music has been great. Um, there's another book coming out, I think, end of next end of this year or beginning of next year um, with another publisher that, you know, it should be really cool as well. I, I think realistically, yeah, there's lots of conversations being being had. But again, the focus, a lot of focus anyway, is just creating stuff that, yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, let's diversify. But you need something in your hand. You know, yeah. you need to be able to say, all right, cool, we're going to decide, here's a book, you know, or here's a podcast. It'd be great to do something, you know, at some point on video, you know, but that's, yeah. that's a lot, that can take a lot of money and time, which, you know, especially money, which I don't have like that, mm-hmm. you know, because this is all, this is all self-funded stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, getting those resources out there because there's lots of people who are talking about this now. There's lots of people you can contact to, um, you know, to do CPD sessions, you know, those people who are collecting data, Donne, for example, yeah. um, who are doing a lot of great work around mu- women in, in, in classical music, mm-hmm. underrepresentation of classical music in general. I think it's great. Lots of posters, et cetera, that are coming out. So I think, yeah, 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 more conversations, hopefully getting involved with more organizations who have some funding because, you know, at the end of the day, money, money moves so much. And yeah, if we have a bit more money, we can do a lot more stuff, you know, yeah. so... And actually that CPD is, I think, the sort of continuing professional development for teachers is a really important one because uh, I was talking to some of my fellow music teachers. We teach in primary schools and taking a maybe historical artifact like music and expanding out to social stuff. I feel well armed to do that about, say, Jewish music in the 1940s because I've seen that modelled. I've been in classrooms where that's happened before. And so I've, even if I'm learning not what not to do, it, or something you know I've, I've got um i've got models i've seen those that explanation process happen whereas actually i haven't about a whole load of a whole range of other subjects that would fall under decolonization and having it modeled seeing a, a test run uh having someone thicken the debate for you so you're not just winging it frankly is uh you know that i think i think it's what teachers are, are crying out for there's my there's my next resource for you is some uh model conversations we can watch but um yeah well we, we've done a couple of those um yeah just yeah really quickly we did a um a series of music mark 
so I, I got a few educators from um, different places. So uh, Francis Winston, mm. who was my my clarinet teacher back in the day, <laughs> he did a he did a workshop on on rap and using you know rap hip hop in the classroom. Um, I'd mentioned Malika Green and Dr. Kim Johnson. They you know mm. from from Trinidad and Tobago they talk about still pan. Um, uh, we, we also had Ethan Hine, who's a, a doctoral fellow in in at NYU in New York talking about his perspective as a, as a white educator talking about hip-hop and and, and, yeah. and rap music and electronic music which is great so yeah there are you know we're hopefully we'll have another series of you know again just looking at in depth about different styles and just having conversations with people who not only have you know knowledge you know book knowledge right but also ex- like lived experience of mm. certain styles of music so they can bring their own personal um relationships with the music into the conversation not just saying well i've read this book and i've watched this video and so this is what i found you know which is very which i think comes across it come across very very differently so yeah keep your eyes peeled be i will more. do we'll share it all over the twitter sphere etc but thanks so much man i really appreciate it it's been really no, it's yeah, been great Firstly, before I ask you about how that went, Sam, I just wanted to say it was real, genuine, sincere pleasure to listen to two people very passionately and actively involved in mm. music education talking about how it could be made better. So thank you for that. How did it feel to be one of the interlocutors <laughs> in that conversation? Using new words. I like that word. Uh, I initially actually found it a little bit frustrating because I think I'd arrived wanting to have questions that I had already prepared answered. Mm. You know, things that I didn't know, I wanted him to just tell me and it'd be done, full stop. And actually, he wasn't, Nate wasn't interested in doing that. He was much more interested in asking me other questions, leading me further down that path. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's the sound of a good educator, right? A really good teacher gets you to teach yourself or develop yourself mm. rather than just give you... Yeah. A factoid. What? Yeah. How am I playing this phrase? Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, not just copy me. Yeah. It's a bit more. How do you think it should be played? Mm, which is a longer lesson. And I didn't quite clock that initially, but then towards the end of the conversation, realized that that was actually a much more satisfying mm. way to learn. Absolutely. It felt to me like the meat of the conversation was this word decolonization. Mm. And I think. For those who don't know, Sam and I sometimes meet before interviews and discuss questions and go through possible avenues of conversation. Uh, And I had pretty much completely missed the point in in (laughs) retrospect of what decolonization was. Uh, um, And that metaphor with the pizza was very helpful for me. Yeah, that differentiation between diversifying and decolonizing, I think, was really important and helped... um, it played into that idea of what do we want to get out of music education? Mm-hmm. What, why are we teaching people this? And what do we want them to get out of it? Yeah, you've got a nice sock metaphor for this, haven't you? I do. My understanding of how you knit a sock is that you start at the toe end and you work backwards. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But So you knit up and then you reach and you pull out your finished sock, mm. uh, which is sort of what I used to do with essays where I would work out what I was doing at the conclusion and then have to reach in and put it back to the introduction. But I think it's also what we want to do with music education. We need to work out where do we want 
our pupils to have gotten by mm-hmm. the time they're 12, 16, 18, 55. Uh, what's the goal? Is it that they learn to love music? We show them ways to do that, how mm-hmm. to express that love, how to take part in it. Um, is it that we show them specifically how to take part in Western classical music? Is it that we mm. specifically teach them the history of that music? Is it you can just keep asking the question, what do we want them to get? Mm. And um, then once you've worked out what your end goal is, pull it all the way back to primary education, the early years, and build a coherent ladder all the way through. I think mm. to just to just diversify, for instance, an A level syllabus isn't going to have the same coherence, isn't going to have the same uh, long-term effect Mm -hmm. um, or wider implications that reframing all of our educational outcomes. Yes. One thing I I wondered whether you were going to mention, and it didn't come up in the end, is the... He released a video in 2020 of of Mm. him reciting one of his own poems. If I Were a Racist. If I Were a Racist, which we'll link in the description, let's say. Mm. Um, and I thought that an appropriate time to perhaps bring that up when when he was talking about the walls up factor, you know, telling yeah. people they're wrong and being confrontational and how it's not within his nature. And I I would argue yeah. that perhaps that video is quite a confrontational way of getting your point across. Yeah, I think it probably is. I it was a shame that we didn't quite end up going down that avenue because it was something I was interested in. But I also wonder if. The man I was talking to is two years older and two years wiser mm. um, and maybe realises that there are other way. Maybe the, the man is talking about not being confrontational and bringing those walls up, avoiding bringing those walls up is the wiser for having published that video. Or maybe not everyone approaches this topic ready to have a conversation. Maybe mm. they're not approaching it. Mm. You know, I rocked up with a whole load of prepared questions saying, tell me more. If music educators are saying, um, or those in powerful positions regarding music education are saying, we're fine, thank you. Maybe you need to shock them a little bit yeah, to yeah. start. How yeah. do you start those conversations Absolutely. if not with a shock? Perhaps it's entirely deliberate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, hey, well, maybe we can get them back to mm. have a chat about that sometime. Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog is out there, still circling like a shark in the water, forced to eat a kangaroo testicle. His liver was pecked out by an eagle. What monkey glands are they eating? His dog uh, just made a more sensible contribution uh, than he did. Yes, Kermit the Frog sang. We will take back control of our fisheries. Unnecessarily rude to Miss Piggy, I thought. He's a very eel-like customer. But it is up to us now to let that lion roar. And time, I think, to put a bit of a tiger in the tank and, and get this thing done. Kermit the Frog. Yes. Kermit the Frog is out there, still circling like a shark in the water. Straight into a massive elephant trap. I swallowed a bug. This is not all about some expensive green act of bunny hugging. Like you, you, you know what I'm driving at. We send you penguins, and they're the bear. Uh, those are not. That's not mine. Uh, I mean, that, that, well, 